0: been able to rise when you couldn't gather. I'm glad y'all here. Hey, it's Dr. Nicole Price. I'm glad you're here. Oftentimes I get asked, How did you change careers so drastically? Like how does an engineer end up being a public speaker? And to that I say very clearly, I have always been a public speaker. I haven't always been a professional speaker, but I've always been a public speaker. You see, from the moment I could remember, I was a talker. And I loved captivating people with my words. There's an image of me in the book, The Holy Educated in Mefer. I'm sitting in a chair at the front of the church uh, in the sanctuary with my pastor. And while at the altar, there I am, feet dangling in the chair, with a microphone much taller than I am, ready ready to speak. In fact, I remember that some of my first public speaking engagements were in the afternoon, given to a very lethargic, sleepy crowd of hundreds in church sanctuaries. To people who had been at church, uh, some of them since eight or nine o'clock in the morning, And it was now 3 o'clock, 3.30, and I was a child needing to captivate their attention. And I did. So from the beginning, I have had that as a skill. But there's this other thing about me. I've regularly been good with science and math. And when I say good, meaning that the concepts don't confuse me. They don't confound me. Um, In fact, I actually liked math class and I liked all of my science classes. That could have something to do with the fact that early in my educational pursuits, I struggled to read. And you didn't have to be able to read in order to understand math. In fact, uh, most of the time it required zero reading at all until you got to some of the more complex, Uh, math ideas. And so when you happen to be black, and you happen to be female in um, the US still today, but certainly, in the 1980s, the direction was to try to influence you to go into one of the science, technology, engineering and math fields, or STEM. And it wasn't called STEM when I was in elementary, middle, or high school, but that's exactly what it was, a path, people would say, in order to get you to be able to um, find your way out. And by find your way out, they meant out of poverty, they meant um, potentially out of um, dangerous neighborhoods, out to find access and opportunity. Now today, uh, one of the things that I'm very cognizant and cautious of is that in addition to all the things that people can do, we need to also be thoughtful about what drives passion in other individuals. You see, I sort of seen it. Um, In engineering school, there were some of my friends and colleagues who would use spreadsheets to keep track of the inventory in their apartment cabinets. And I thought that was funny. You know, I'm, I'm always down for a good joke. Uh, But it never occurred to me that that wouldn't occur to me. (laughs) Um, Many of my friends consistently wore uh, polo shirts and khaki pants, and they were happy and thrilled to do so. They were often very much introverted and reflective and people who listened and then they spoke. Whereas I was absolutely a speak then listen then speak kind of person. There's all, there's all these uh, situations and circumstances where there were differences between us, but because uh, the people were my friends and because honestly I was quite blind to, to thinking difference if you think about personality, I didn't know anything about it at the time. I didn't see it. And I remember vividly that there was um, an engineering intern manager, uh, his name was Fred Kilpatrick and he said to me that I should consider marketing or something, that engineering was not for me. And at the time, I remember crying and I, I'm still not a crier to this day. And Uh, definitely was not a crier then, Uh, but my feelings were hurt. And my feelings were hurt because I was insistent that I could do this, that I do show up every day and do this. Why then would this man say that this is not what's for me? And so I set out on a different path, I think, and that was to do two things. Make my Mama Proud and my extended family, and then also to disprove Fred Kilpatrick. And so I kept pursuing engineering, working really hard, and made it through the one of the tuss- toughest diff- disciplines in undergrad, which is uh, chemical engineering, and went on to work in a manufacturing uh, printing facility in Leavenworth, Kansas. And people would say subtle things about my dress, for sure. Um, wow, Nicole, that's an interesting shirt, or that's an interesting skirt. Because I did not dress like a conventional engineer, as I said. Um, the, if you think about using all of your biases, engineers have a uniform. They wear polo shirts, of which I have none. And they wear khaki pants of which I don't think are all that flattering. And to me, the dress code in the plant was very simple, hard hat. When you were under a press safety glasses, when you were on the production floor and steel toe shoes, as soon as you left the, uh, the lobby area. And don't forget your, your earplugs or hearing protection. And I wore all those things. I just tended to wear them while I also had on a pink suit or while I also had on um, a green skirt. And it, those things alone, I'm regularly telling people as part of my professional work uh, to not allow those kinds of biases to lead and guide you, um, but they should have been a clue. You know, the thing about stereotypes is that there's some truth to them. They would lose all their weight if they didn't have any truth to them. And so it wasn't until 2004, five or so, maybe even later, the dates escaping me, when I was leading a team of engineers and technical professionals on a really large project designed to try to keep some work here stateside that was in danger of uh, being shipped halfway across the globe to Hong Kong. And in that job, it was one of the first times that as a leader you were encouraged to engage in some team development work. and. Janice Wallace, who was the HR professional at the time, came to me and said, you know, um, I want to walk your team through a high-performance workshop. And I was exposed to the Myers-Briggs. And if you're not familiar with the personality instrument, it's just four letters, but they identify how you communicate, how you like to learn, how you make decisions, and then just basically how you orient yourself to the world. And on those four uh, points of assessment, there was only one in which I shared the temperament of typical engineers. And it was at that time that I realized it wasn't them. It was me that while I could do engineering, my personality completely disagreed. And I, unlike most people, don't have the temperament for doing something every single day of my life that I don't thoroughly enjoy. But at the beginning, that decision related to engineering wasn't obvious and it wasn't quick. In fact, I, um, I set out with an executive coach to try to adjust my style and my temperament um, so that other people would be happier. And in doing so, I remember vividly the day, I don't remember the date, but I remember vividly the day that there was a statement that came out of my mouth and I didn't even recognize the words. And the next morning I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I can do this but at what cost? What cost to me personally? And I think sometimes that when I sit in that, it's, it's directly related to um, the fact that both of my parents were, um, their lives were cut short by accidents. Um, So I don't have a lot of examples of people living really long lives. And So in the subconscious, and sometimes even in the conscious, I am regularly thinking, what if today is my last day? What if this month is my last month? What if this year is my last year? Do I want to spend it doing something that I don't love? You see, I believe that when you love something, or when you have passion for something, when you have energy and commitment for something that it Um, you're more likely to be successful doing it and it's more likely to be fun for you and because of both of those things your outcomes will be better and so I was going to quit I uh, didn't know what I was going to do and as a single mother at the time it was probably quite um, irresponsible in some people's eyes for me to think about that But when I shared that sentiment with a few people at my organization, they said very clearly, well, we didn't want you to quit, and found me another opportunity um, to recruit engineers and other folks in operations uh, in HR. And so I got to work in recruiting for a little while, specifically uh, trying to help people understand what was it that engineers did Um, in a consumer products company that was really in the emotional expression business. People were very familiar with the company from a retail standpoint, um, but they didn't understand that uh, this organization actually manufactured, distributed, um, and created all of their own uh, greeting cards, paper plates, cups, and napkins, the company's hallmark. And when I shifted to HR, it was very clear to me that uh, HR, I wasn't like HR people either. Uh, If you've watched the intro episode, you know that the the logical, reasonable questioning and tough way that I make decisions doesn't tend to gel with the empathetic and compassionate and the more accommodating, tender ways of HR people. But it was closer, you know, when I would go on recruiting events, you could see that um, people were inspired to maybe give Hallmark a chance just based on my speaking to them. Because of budget reasons, I went back to operations, but I was very clear. If I go back to operations, I'm happy to do so, but not in any uh, technical role. And so then I got an opportunity to lead people, but uh, none of them were really engineers or technical professionals, they had lots of different uh, backgrounds. And that's when I realized I love leadership. I love leading people. And um, as part of that job, I also got to sometimes show up and deliver some training content, specifically for a course called um, Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. And While I was doing that, I realized I loved being in front of people, helping adults to learn, but my background was in engineering. And so I did it voluntarily. Um, I did it as part of all of my volunteer work uh, at the United Way or either as part of affinity groups and I continued to do it in church and for friends. But when a job came open, um i shared with Mary Beth M. meyer at the time that actually before the job came open i shared with her that my ideal job would be one where i got to be funny where i got to uh, either speak and train people and also one where the technical components of my brain didn't have to be left aside and I told anybody who would listen, but it was Mary Beth who came to me when a job in leadership development opened up and said, you know, I'm, I'm leaving this role, but if you're interested, um, I think you should apply. Now here's what you should know. And this is where favor is important. I couldn't even apply for the job because my background in HR wasn't enough years. I think there was like a five year minimum requirement in the role in order for me to be able to get the job. And so I um, I called Mary Beth and I said, hey, thanks, uh, but I, I wasn't able to apply because my engineering background doesn't serve as um, experience. And they changed the basic qualifications for that job so that I could apply. And that's when I got my formal experience in leadership development or learning and development. It was during that time that I sought about getting my master's in adult education. And because of the credibility I gained, and I don't mean uh, the degree, I mean, I learned a lot about what makes adults learn. I decided to go ahead and get my master's in educational leadership and management as well. And today I While I cannot ignore my foundation in engineering, I am equally as qualified, um, or definitely well-read on the topic of getting adults to learn and what it means to be a good leader of your own life or of teams and organizations. And so what is, why do I, share that story and and what could it possibly mean for you? If you can be inspired around an idea a mission, a vision that's wonderful and if you can make that align to your work it is the thing to do to me and if God has gifted you with certain talents, things that you do all the time effortlessly, or things that people consistently come to you for, asking for your support and advice. Consider that that should be the way that you also sustain yourself. I know it's scary. I didn't start my own company because I wanted to. I started my own company because I got fired. I got pushed. I didn't jump and then the net appeared. I got pushed and God gave me a net. I'm not telling you to do the same. What I am telling you is that I think it is worth it for you to consider. How could you potentially sustain yourself If you took all those things you're really good at and put them to great use some of you know i have dogs right now three and because i have two humongous dogs jiggles or jiggle baby as we affectionately call her weighs almost 170 pounds that's a lot of poop and so we hired pooper scoopers to come and keep the yard clean. And one day I was out talking with the owner of the wee Scoop Poop place. Well, you know what? Now that I say that, I don't know if it was the owner or not. Someone who was here to take care of this mountainous dog dung. And I was inquiring about the business strategy, which is masterful, by the way because I don't want to be out there. So I'm happy to pay. But the more I talked to him, the more I realized one, he didn't always have familial support. I mean, if you can imagine going home and telling your mama, you know, I'm not going to go to college, I'm going to scoop dog poop for a living. And just imagine all the reactions he probably got. But that's important. Not everybody is going to see it when you have a purpose. But the other two things I learned about him is that, one, he loves dogs, and two, his olfactory senses don't work. So he can't even smell the dog poop. And so when you think about a person who's uniquely positioned to start a pooper scooper company, why not him? And so my final question is, why not you? What is it? Are you excellent at cleaning? Are you an amazing baker? Are you like my friend Tanisha and you make great savory and sweet pecans? Do you sing? Do you play an instrument? Are you really an engineer? Are you a jewelry designer? Have you always wanted to be an airline pilot? Do you like advocating for people? Should you be in politics, or public service? Did you wanna be a police officer, but the reputation has you scared? Here's my invitation to you. Get out a pen, some paper. Write down what you do so easily that you just don't even think about it as a skill per se. What is it that your friends ask you for? What is it that you've been doing forever that you do in your free time to relax your spirit? Put all those things together and then just start talking about them. I know we have to be able to sustain ourselves But imagine and dream big without thinking about the money first. And see what comes up for you. We need you walking in your purpose. I'm Dr. Nicole D. Price and welcome to the Holy educated MFR. Who's been able to rise when you couldn't get you...